This past Wednesday, most of the church staff spent the day with the New York City relief bus serving meals to the homeless in the Chelsea section of Manhattan. We probably served over 300 people in that short time. And, you know, the relief bus is a great, simple way to serve others. No skill required. If you can handle a soup ladle, you're good. So let me encourage you just to consider doing that. Sign up to serve on the relief bus with, you know, with your family, your friends, your small group. And you know what? You can just use the new church app to sign up. You just go to register, and then you'll see how to do that. One of the things that the relief bus staff does in getting people ready for the experience is to help you recognize that there is a real spiritual battle going on, not just for the souls of the poor, or the addicted, or the mentally ill, but also for the, for the powerful and the privileged. There is a spiritual battle going on all across all the economic and social spectrum. And being with the homeless just makes it easier to see. But the battle is going on all around. As we drove into the city, the staff person put on some music, worship music, and we were encouraged just to be quiet before the Lord and prepare our hearts and minds for what we would encounter. And through prayer, we needed to be battle ready. As we were nearing the entrance to the Lincoln Tunnel, I couldn't help but look out onto the scene of the city, this urbanized, mechanized, mega metropolis, you know, media saturated, almost every person we saw glued to their cell phone. From the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor, and they're, they're all crammed together, and yet so often so isolated. What's going to save this generation? I mean, is it churches with cooler music or hip pastors? I mean, what will really rescue people from the darkness? Is it better preaching by the pastors? I mean, even with better preaching, I don't think that's the whole answer. I mean, I've got about you know, 22 minutes per week to talk with you about God, and that's not enough time. If Sunday's sermons are your only spiritual input during the week, it's not enough. There's too much garbage in the world. The noise of the world is so much louder than 22 minutes of preaching. It overshadows what you might hear. Or think of your children. If Sunday school is the only spiritual input for your children, that's not enough. That one hour can't possibly counterbalance the weight of what kids are exposed to throughout the week. So what could possibly save this generation. Well, we read it in Psalm 19 last week, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Perfect. It's the word of God that restores and heals and powers the human heart. It's the word of God that makes the heart beat faster with the adrenaline rush of God's love in action. What will change people is regular exposure, intake, and understanding of the word of God. That's the way God works. It's through his word. The Holy Spirit works to change a person's heart through the power of the word of God. That's how faith begins, how faith continues to grow. Remember from last week how Jesus said the word of God is like a seed planted in good soil. It grows and grows and grows and bears fruit in your life. That's God's design. If preaching is the only way of getting the word of God into people, then we're in trouble. To be a healthy, growing, fruitful disciple, you and I both need the Word of God ingested regularly. Like the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word needs to flow into your life regularly, a steady stream of Christ's presence released into your life through His Word. So let me ask you this. Shouldn't a church of Jesus Christ be known as a place where the word of Christ dwells richly? 
I mean, what would that kind of congregation look like? A community of people committed to regularly ingesting and then living out the Word of God. That would be a dynamic place. That would be a church community worth joining. But the sad reality is, is that there is a crisis in the church around the Bible. The amount of time church people in the U.S. spend sharing, studying, or reading the Word of God has drastically been reduced over the past few decades. According to research done by the Barna Group and the American Bible Society in 2014, we are losing Bible readers by the truckload. The number of people who actually read the Bible has fallen 20% in a single generation. While respect for the Bible stays high, the actual use of the Bible is rapidly declining, especially among millennials. The ironic thing is that we've never had greater access to the Bible. There have never been more Bibles available to them today. 25 million Bibles will be sold in the U.S. alone this year. It's still the best-selling book around the world. Now we've even got free Bible apps and all kinds of ways to access the Scripture through the Internet. So it's not a problem to get the Bible into people's hands. That's not the problem. The problem is getting people to read the Bible with understanding so God's Spirit can do His transforming work. Here's the key. Access does not equal engagement. Access does not equal engagement. Our scripture passage for today tells a story of how one man moved from access to true engagement. Maybe his story can influence your story. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The story takes place after Jesus' resurrection, after the church was launched in Holy Spirit power at Pentecost, and after the first disciple has been martyred, Stephen, killed for his faith. You read that in Acts chapter 7. Following Stephen's death, a violent persecution kind of drove the disciples out of Jerusalem and scattered them across the ancient world, sort of like you know, blowing on a dandelion spreads its seeds in the wind. One of those dandelion seeds was the disciple Philip. He wasted no time, was already engaged in sharing the gospel in very dynamic ways. But God interrupts what he's doing to send him on a special mission. Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to a slaughter, and like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch then asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? 
and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Both, then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen. Thanks be to God. This is his holy word. This is really a fascinating story to me. God directs Philip to encounter a man identified as an Ethiopian eunuch. You know, with the PG-13 tone of worship, I really can't go into all the background on the ancient world's practices in this regard, except to say that there was a whole subclass of slaves, uh, starting as adolescent boys, who were horribly mutilated for a variety of despicable reasons. Some were for brothels, some for individual ownership, some to guard herons, and some, like this man, to serve royal courts as administrators, believing that they would be less rebellious. This man must have been a smart guy to rise in the ranks of servants to such a trusted position in the court of Candace of Ethiopia. Candace was not the queen's name, that was her title. And Ethiopia back then actually included all of the lands of the southern Nile below Egypt, all of modern Sudan, Ethiopia, and all the way down into Uganda. And so he's wealthy and powerful. He had enough wealth and power to travel with escorts and entourage all the way to Jerusalem and back. Had enough wealth to get a hold of a scroll of the Old Testament for his own personal use. That would have been extremely expensive. So he's powerful and he's wealthy. And he's also broken. Emasculated, a victim of the viciousness of others. And yet he has to live his life and somehow make sense of who he is. We're told that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. That means he was either a convert to Judaism, or he was what was called a God-fearer, a Gentile who believed in the one true God of Israel, but who never went through all the rituals of Jewish conversion. But even with his desire to seek the true God, the Jews would have always treated him as an outsider. According to the Old Testament law, because of his physical mutilation, he was considered unclean and would have had to stand on the outside of the temple. He would not have even been admitted, admitted into the courts of the Gentiles. That's in Deuteronomy 23. So even in Judaism, he's not fully accepted. And as Philip approaches his chariot, it's not the Ben-Hur kind of chariots you know, that raced around a track. This is more like a four-wheeled covered wagon, big enough for the driver, the official, probably one other servant, and then room for Philip, too. It's moving slowly, so that the man can read on the bumpy roads, and he reads out loud, which is how people read back then. Philip is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and knows this is not just some chance encounter. God has already been at work in the circumstances and timing of this meeting, and Philip is ready. There's a Japanese expression that, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Well, God knew this student was ready. And he orchestrates events so that Philip can be his teacher. Some people, you know, define luck as when preparedness meets opportunity. But with God, we know he's already at work creating the opportunities. It's up to us to be prepared and then to act. When God gives you those opportunities, you have to be bold enough to go for it. Seize the moment and, and then see God work. Philip is obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and asks him a great question. Do you understand what you're reading? 
Well, the Ethiopian, I mean, he's a smart guy, right? But he can't make heads or tails of what he's reading. And this is true for so many people in this world when they try to read the Bible. They find that it's difficult. Partially because the evil one puts obstacles in their way. We heard Jesus tell us last week in the parable of the soils that the evil one snatches away the seed before it can take root. And it's important to note that, that intellectual smarts doesn't always translate into spiritual depth or understanding. I mean, I've experienced this firsthand in the academic world, four years of studying theology in college, three years of, for my master's in seminary, and then the years of my doctoral program. And as someone once said, professors of grace aren't necessarily possessors of grace. People can know a lot about the Bible or theology and not know Jesus at all. What makes this Ethiopian official unique is that he's open and eager to learn and God has tilled the soil and he's ready for the seed of the word to get planted. A few years ago, the Willow Creek Association conducted the largest church survey ever with some 20,000 congregations participating. In fact, we were invited to be one of the first congregations asked to do the study. It was called the Reveal Study. And some very interesting information came out from all those churches. The study showed that the number one need, number one need among church people was this. I need my church to help me understand the Bible in depth. 87% said so. That's huge. When asked to respond to this next statement, my church helps me study the Bible in depth. Only 19% said so. And so there's a huge disconnect in churches between those two statements, a huge indictment of churches that are failing to pass along the most basic skill necessary for spiritual growth, which is reading and understanding the Bible. And the study shows the huge opportunity for the church to be the place that helps people understand the Bible. That's, that's what I hope we are. Four out of five people say they need it, but one out of five feels they're getting it. It's a marketer's dream come true. Other parts of the Reveal survey show that Bible reading is the number one marker of spiritual vitality for individuals and congregations. It's the, the trait that is most common among thriving churches. People reading and understanding the Bible, not the style of worship, not the architecture, but people reading and studying the Bible. And yet in too many churches, we see sort of the lobotomization of the laity. If they're fed the word at all, they're spoon-fed by the clergy. And, you know, it's a shame because one of the driving forces for the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century was to get the Bible into the hands of the people. The Roman Catholic Church only wanted the priests to have access to the Bible, only in Latin, so ordinary people couldn't understand it and start asking questions. You know, they had to go through the priest. People back then who translated the Bible into English or German or French, they were labeled as heretics. They were hunted down. They were routinely killed, burned at the stake, decapitated. I don't think we appreciate the number of people who have died so that you can read a Bible in English or German or Korean or Mandarin. You know, this passage the Ethiopian is reading is, comes from the prophet Isaiah chapter 53. The whole chapter is a prophecy about the Messiah written some 600 years before Jesus was born. And it's pretty impressive that Philip could take that passage and then lead the man to Christ as Savior. I mean, it was a, it was a little thread, but Philip knew the scriptures well enough himself that he was able to put it all together for the man. Do you think you could have done that? Take that passage from the Old Testament and then lead a person 
to Christ? Why not? How many Bible studies have you been in over your lifetime? How long have you been a Christian? For some of us, it's time to, to, to not just look at the playbook, but actually get in the game. Have some boldness. Be ready to be used by the Spirit. Engage with people around the Scriptures, knowing that God is tilling the soil and preparing the way. Right now, we are challenging people to read through the entire New Testament in something called the Community Bible Experience, or CBE. We've distributed over 800 of the special Bibles designed for this reading, and I'm really pleased with the response. And if you're trying to do the daily readings, please don't get discouraged. It's best just to pick a time and a place to do your reading every way, you know, every day. Pick the same place. Turn it into a habit. That's what counteracts the excuse that you know, you're just too busy to read. We have all the time to do what we really want to do. We just need the self-discipline to go along with it. We've just created bad habits in how we use our time or in how we think about or use the Bible. So take these eight weeks and really feed yourself on the Word. See what God will do. Too often, you know, we've been reading the Bible just in fragments. For too many of us, we've eaten a diet of Bible McNuggets our whole lives, and we've assumed that they were nutritious. You know, the CBE plan is just so simple. It's just read the Bible and hopefully get into a group to answer a few questions. Some of us are making this way too complicated. Just read the Bible and let the whole thing sink in. Just read it and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. Just read it and let the word change you. Change the direction of your life like it did for the Ethiopian eunuch. History tells us that he was the first black African to take the gospel into Central Africa. That's pretty amazing, this sexually mutilated black man, an outsider in so many ways, he's actually a charter member of the faith. One of the very first Gentiles to believe in Jesus and be baptized. So three things quickly. First, let the word change the direction of your life. If you're a believer and you've never been baptized, either as a child or as an adult, you need to get baptized because that's the sign of Christ changing your life. Come talk to me or one of the other pastors about that. That's the first thing. Second, with God's word, move from access to engagement. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you while you read. Get engaged with the scripture. And third, be like Philip. When preparation meets opportunity, be willing, be bold, be used by God to explain, to clarify, to persuade, to challenge. Let God use you to plant the word in someone else's heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this example of Philip and his eagerness, his willingness, his ability to take a little thread of scripture and lead a man to a deep relationship with you who would then influence hundreds and millions of others eventually over the course of the centuries. Thank you, Lord, that we have many opportunities today to do the same thing. Help us to, to be engaged with your word, to be changed by it, but also be willing to respond to the opportunities that you might give us to talk about your word with others and so to see seeds planted in their hearts. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.